You can forget a lot of things, Foster Care Nation, but never forget this. You're listening to Unparalleled Studios. I signal. Foster Care Nation, listen up. This is Foster Care and Unparalleled Terminator. Strength for the powerless. Courage for the fearful. Hope and healing for wounded hearts. Hello and welcome back to Foster Care, an unparalleled journey with Jason and Amanda. And today we have... A uh, strange thing for you. We're going to bring somebody who has a big presence on social media into a podcast because, you know, all that fancy moving stuff on the screen. Well, we're not going to have that today. We're going to we're gonna talk with Ika McLeod about her story. Ika, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Hey, it's great to be able to talk to you. You know, I saw, you know, somebody had, had mentioned you guys. I was looking around and I see that you have like quite the social media presence. So I went looking, I thought, yeah, let's see what this is about. And it says that I, there's a single mom out here who has adopted three children with special needs. That is correct. That's me. <laughs> and I thought, you know, I'm pretty certain we stepped into this without really ever intentionally trying to like, like knowingly stepping into special needs. Now, of course, you end up in places you never expected, and, and we're in a bit of a different spot now, but how in the world does does a single mom end up adopting three kids with special needs and turning that somehow into this great big, you know, internet, social media, superstardom thing you have going on over there? Oh, um, well, like I always tell people, I, I always knew I had to adopt children, even as a little girl. I... <laughs> Uh, so I, I will put it out there. I am also uh, queer. So I, <laughs> I think that some people just have callings and some people, everybody's different. Everybody's born unique. And when other little girls were playing um, marriage and pregnancy, I was playing adoption. I, I grew up, I was a child of the eighties. So I, so many things, like, there were so many signs. Like, I don't know how nobody knew I was, but <laughs> um, I used to play, uh, what was it? Um, like wagon trail, like almost like little house on the prairie or, <laughs> and I would see orphaned children. I'd have the chairs, you know, two and two, like I was in a wagon and I'd be at the front with my fake, like my jump rope, you know, and my cabbage patch dolls would be lined up and they needed to be adopted because, you know, they were, you know, and it, it, I was like, probably like, I would say maybe four or five, six years old playing this. So, um, I always had a calling and then, <clears throat> excuse me. <laughs> and then, um, I grew up with a couple of girls. I was back in my much younger, thinner days, competitive cheerleader and two girls that were sisters. I became close friends with, and their parents were actually foster parents that had the five biological kiddos to the, my friends were two of the five. And then they would have two, three, four, um, foster kiddos in the house. And I loved going to their home. And that was when I was a little older, I was probably about 14 when I met them. So it was this cool progression, just the way um, the universe kind of comes together and connects everything. Like all the dots were connected for me. Um, so I always knew that I would adopt and I, uh, I went, I put myself through college. Um, I was the first person in my family to graduate from college. And then of course, to go on to graduate school, I have two master's degrees. And when I started, I was about to start graduate school. I was just like, I really want to do this now. And I thought to myself, oh, you know, now's not the time to finish graduate school, but something told me now. So I licensed in probably about a four or five week period. And then I was in graduate school and fostering kids. Eli was my first forever kiddo. He is eight now and uh, he's a joy. Eli is severely disabled. He has multiple diagnoses, uh, the primary one being something called spastic quadriplegia, which is a probably the most severe form of cerebral palsy. And so um, he has just been a joy. He is, oh, Eli is just amazing. And then there's Evan and Evan is six and Evan is absolutely incredible. Evan 
has come into her own and Evan loves, Evan was assigned male at birth. Evan loves wearing dresses and makeup and she has grown her hair out and recently come out stating that she identifies as a she, her, and as a girl. And then there's Ella. Ella's my youngest. She's a little spitfire. That girl, she will do amazing things. I hope (laughs) I always joke with people. I'm like, she's either going to lead a prison gang or be president. We hope she uses (laughs) her powers for good, (laughs) but Ella is, I don't like to describe Ella. I just say like, I've never met a more motivated individual. Ella is incredibly smart and Evan and Ella are biological siblings. And they both had similar challenges as infants going into toddlerhood with, you know, trying to meet those milestones. And Evan was very delayed, but Ella, that child did everything within the quote unquote, typical time frame. She's just a determined soul. And she is still that way. But um, all three of them are, uh, they're definitely like, <laughs> I don't even know how to describe them. They are a whole entity unto themselves. They find themselves hilarious. Um, as far <laughs> as Evan and Ella's diagnoses go, Evan and, Evan has uh, autism and microcephaly and Ella has autism. So I think people think um, adopting children with disabilities um, or unique needs was super intentional. I knew Eli had short gut syndrome when I adopted him. All the other diagnoses like um, the cerebral palsy, the fetal alcohol, vision issues, all those kind of came later. And then with Evan and Ella, as most of us know, I think maybe not everybody, autism isn't diagnosed when you're you know, at birth or typically even within the first couple of years of life, it's typically when children are just a little bit older. So, um, Evan was, I think four and a half and Ella was, was four. They were diagnosed. Wow. Wow. Well, yeah. number one, if, if my kids ever end up in prison, I'm, you need to tell, tell Ella that, you know, the gang name needs to be the McLeods so that they know who they can get along with. <laughs> On parallel journey. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, you know, uh, I, I think I've got good kids, but you never know where they're going to end up. And some of our older kids have tried to prove that to us over the years on their, on their journey to growing up. So. <laughs> I, I think Ella will do pretty cool things. Like, I just, you just gotta kind of keep, she keeps veering and I just gotta kind of keep staring her over here, but I'm actually really excited. Um, you know, I think obviously Eli being severely disabled, you know, he has more limits than the other two. Evan is, she's already doing amazing things, but Ella is the one I'm just like, I cannot wait to see the things she's going to do. I, I, I get really excited sometimes. Um, she's just, she's a powerful soul. She is powerful. And with any luck, she'll have your retirement all figured out for you within the next 15 years, right? Five, five. (laughs) (laughs) I need to retire now. I'm exhausted. (laughs) It's always so neat to watch that, though. We have one little guy that, man, he is a storytelling fool. And he just, the stories that he tells, the amazing adventures that he goes on in his brain. Like, it's so neat to watch them. So do you believe he actually has a brain? Oh, I'm certain it's there. I see it working every (laughs) once in a while. Ella's a a smack talker. Ella will tell me about all the toddler tea happening at preschool and how (laughs) she's not friends with Alice anymore. And Alice bit her. So she's hanging out with Theo and she not, (laughs) Alice not nice. You know, (laughs) I can't like, tell them what happens i'm just i mean i'm so like i jerry love springer preschool lives huh i said jerry springer preschool stories i'm just like and i'm like so i'm invested i was like so what happened today i mean what she's like now she's hanging out with some other little girl melania or something and i was like wait what happened with alice and theo i gotta know i mean yeah so <coughs> it's always something <laughs> yeah those uh those stories yeah yeah, don't worry when they when they when she becomes a teenage girl. I'm certain it's going to be calm and quiet at that point, right? I have to my fingers crossed. <laughs> don't hold she your tells me honey. things now, so I hope you know they still know they have mom who they can talk to. Um, I want to know about their lives, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. 
Just there's some parts of it sometimes that I wish I didn't have all the details too. <laughs> Mine are funny. I will say like my kids definitely have my sense of humor. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but um, we understand one another. So that's the cool thing. But I, I see them talking about things now when they go out and do stuff if I'm not there, which is rare. But if the babysitters take them out and they come back and I, I just love hearing their take on the world and their experience and how excited they get. And I'm like, man, I can't wait till they're older and, you know, they're doing more stuff and, you know, they come back and tell me all about it. So it's really cool to watch them grow. Yeah. It's amazing how some of those familial bonds grow in weird ways. You know, social media can be an interesting place to hang out. And if you, if you got on my personal page and you saw some of the interactions from a couple different guys with the same last name as me, I'll tell you, that's my brother and my cousin. And no, we don't hate each other. It's how we get along. You know, <laughs> it looks like we hate each other, you know? Family. <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's, it's just how we get along. You know, I have a cousin of mine who, who he speaks that way, to, you know, when he responds to me. And if we call each other fat, ugly, stupid, those are it's kind of terms of endearment amongst my family. It's kind of weird. Well, I, I hope know. my kids aren't doing that, but like, <laughs> you know. You know, we're talking, we talk more like, like, let's respect pronouns and things like that. So Ella to get at Evan for a little while was just like, no, you're a boy. And oh man, Evan would not be down with that. But it is, it's funny. I did not fight with my brother growing up. I have one sibling, um, but man, Evan and Ella, those two go fist to come like, stop, no, you know? <laughs> and then when they're not together, it's always like, I miss Ella. I miss Evan. Like, all you guys do is fight when you're together. I don't understand. What is this sorcery? They so, miss um, the fight. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting because it's, you know, I think a lot of times parenting, and I, I mean, tell me if you can relate to this. When you get excited to be a parent and do the things that you do in your parents, because you remember a lot of happy memories you had growing up and you want to see those memories through your children's eyes. I want my kids to, I used to go camping every summer and I want my kids to do the same thing, you know, that kind of thing. So it's so interesting to see how different their life experiences. And of course that comes with time and they're just different people and things like that, but um, just how differently they respond to things than I did growing up. Oh yeah. Having grown up in a world without cell phones. You know. Oh man, I remember my aunt still had a rotary phone when I was young. Yes, <laughs> we had a rotary phone at one point. I remember. Those and it was time. stuck for all the younger listeners. It was attached to the wall, and if you wanted any privacy, you had to convince your parents to get the twenty-five foot cord so you could stretch it all the way to the bathroom and try and sit there. That's and a cord quiet. phone. You're talking about the rotary where you had to dial like this. Mm -hmm. You better not have to dial nine one one because that was going to take you forever. That nine was way over here, you know. Yeah, <laughs> the guy had already had the front door kicked in by the time you got the nine dialed. <laughs> but yeah, oh, you, had, the days. <laughs> you had to go stretch down the hall or something to hide oh, at the end of a cord so that mom and dad couldn't hear what you were saying to your friends and yeah that back in the day before there was nintendo all those crazy oh yeah things. i remember i got we got that first nintendo it came out i was in fourth grade man i played the hell out of some duck hunt <laughs> yes yes you were way cooler than us i think i was i mean it came out in that time frame for me as well but i want to say i was I was in high school, maybe a freshman or sophomore before Nintendo found its way into our house because, you know, uh, we weren't into that kind of stuff, according to my parents. And so <laughs> mostly <laughs> they, they weren't buying it for me. <laughs> hey, yeah, well, we, were, I, we, were, we were really lucky kids. So, yeah, we got it right when it came out. And before that, you know, Atari. I remember the <laughs> your your house was the house that we would always try to go to so that we could actually play the games. Yeah, <laughs> we were really, we were really, uh, I had a, a pretty good childhood. Yeah, I was really lucky. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you, you've got, you've got these kids here and, and you're talking about, you know, all these different diagnoses and you're, you know, starting all this journey. I just got a question. You were going through grad school in the middle of all this, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm crazy. What, what was that like? Cause you know, everybody says I could never be a foster parent. I could never let them go. I would never have that much time. I would never. And here you are like stepping in and doing it while you're busy doing grad school, which is pretty much a full-time gig in and of itself. I, I am. I have always just been the kind of person that marches to the beat of her own drum. 
um, for better or for worse. So, um, I never, I honestly feel like it was preparing me for what I'm doing now as a parent, because I had to really focus on juggling, balancing, um, carving time out of in, in, in the day in which there was no time and somehow trying to make it work. And that is really where I'm at as a parent now with so many different diagnoses, behavioral issues, uh, sports activities, because we're on social media, we, um, need to attend events. Um, we need to do, there's a lot that just goes into it. I'm constantly creating content. I think people think creating content is like, Oh, so easy. No, I mean, it is a lot of time and work goes into it, especially being on multiple platforms. Um, you know, I'm now homeschooling two of my kids. So there is so much that goes into it. I just think that again, the universe kind of connects things. Um, and I always say it connects the dots for me, even in the most painful ways sometimes. And that was just a preparation for where I was going to be at today because things don't get easier. That's just the reality. I think of raising children in general, but especially being, um, a single parent of children with such unique needs and sometimes such severe needs, things only get harder. Yes. Yes, you are right there because as much as the long nights and the, the multiple feedings and the waking up and screaming baby can make you a little bit insane with, with sleep deprivation, or sometimes yeah. if we're going to be honest, make your wife a little insane with her sleep deprivation because you can sleep right through it like a champ. Um, <laughs> I wish I could. Uh-uh. It's just me. I better get up. <laughs> right. I, I, it doesn't bother me. I, there's no way for me to, to wake up to remember to do that. So thankfully, my wife, you know, she's, she hears that stuff way faster than I do. But, you know, all that stuff, it has its own level of hardness. But when you get yeah. these kids, I say go through school, they say go through through a school that is a whole different experience than what we grew up with, you know, it was the, the, the advent of social media for kids. Cause I'm my God is that's not a whole sticky wicket to see what, what social media does for kids in schools and teens and, and all, and some of the places that that takes them. And it's just difficult. And then as you're getting to high school, you're like, Holy crap, am I going to survive this? Am I going to yeah. survive this? Now, mind you, Very we've different. got, we, we've gotten three kids th- through those those ages already, so I think we're going to survive the next ones. It's been difficult, but we're going to survive, I think. Um, but, yeah, it just gets harder and harder as you move, for sure. So if you want to do all of our social media, I will let you do it because I'm, <laughs> I'm with you. you know, but what you said, it's it's difficult you know, be, to do it. It's, it's not like you just kick on the video and do a 30 second clip and then it goes viral and the world is awesome. And, and now you're suddenly this content creator that makes all this money. Cause, um, <laughs> how's that working out for me so far, baby? Uh, we're in the negative. Yeah. <laughs> our podcast. Well, content creating in itself. I think people think like, you know, you have all these followers and that's how you make the money is just creating the content. And that's not really how it works. It's other things outside of that. Like, People are always just like, oh my God, you must be making so much money on TikTok. And I look and it's like $300, you know, like <laughs> it's not, um, I, I, I think people who don't do it at a, on a certain level don't understand that it's not the actual content creating in that aspect that makes money. You work with brand deals, you do ad campaigns, things like that. And then it's kind of these separate deals that actually bring um, that in. And, and I'm really blessed to be able to do that because I'm as a single parent, especially homeschooling two kids, I'm home with my kids, even though it's a lot to juggle, even though I don't think I'm so exhausted that there's just some days I don't know how I'm, my body woke up that day. Um, I'm still able to be here and be doing this, but it's, it's a lot. And our content is even harder. I always, you know, being such a unique and diverse family, um, and I see other families out there on social media and their kids are doing like the perfect dances, like, you know, and, you know, mine's in the corner licking a wall. And so, you know, it's just kind of <laughs> our content is very primarily it's like 99 percent organic is what I tell people, meaning we just live our lives. I film much of what we do, not even if we weren't on social media, I'd be doing the same thing. I love memories. I was always kind of bummed that my mom and dad didn't take more pictures or have more footage, um, growing up. And I want to have a lot of that. 
So um, once I have footage, basically I try to create content with heart, if that makes sense. So if I felt something in that moment, um, I try to take the footage I have and create primarily videos is what I do, create a video to convey and kind of push through the screen that emotion that I felt and, and hand it over to the viewer. So for example, we were talking about um, yesterday, we met the Tyler family. So Steven Tyler of Aerosmith and his daughter, Mia Tyler and friends and family. We were invited to one of the birthday parties for Mia's, um, a birthday party for Mia's son. And Steven and my son, Eli, just my disabled son who's in the wheelchair, just connected. It was beautiful and emotional. Um, and I filmed some of it, you know, some of the other time I was just talking, hanging out with people, shoveling Chuck E. Cheese pizza down my throat. Like, dang, I don't remember this pizza being so good. Um, <laughs> and going to town. And then I came home and it was just, it was a very emotional thing. My dad passed away 20, 20 something years ago. Um, and I was young and he never met my kids. And so watching Steven Tyler, this man with Eli kind of gave me a glimpse into what it would have been like to have my dad around still um, with my kids. And so it was super emotional. So I took the footage and I say, how can I convey using this footage with music added captions, whatever it is, and convey the emotions of what I felt to the viewers. And that's what I do. You it's know, hard. I love <laughs> it's that. Hard. Yeah. Nobody's ever going to love your kids the way you do. So to, to try to um, obviously create a piece of content to in some way get people who don't know you, who probably have very little in common with you to relate to that moment and to feel it with you is really tough. Yeah. Yeah. You know, my, my youngest little guy, uh, Frankie, he, he will sometimes, he, every, it doesn't do it very often anymore. He used to do it a lot. He will stop and say, Hey, wait, wait, I want to remember this. And he'll stop and he'll close his eyes and put his hands up like he's holding the camera. And go, okay. I just took a picture so I can remember this forever. That's cute. And I'm yeah. like, you know, how, how you capture that and, and put that in, in into that kind of focus for people, because especially if you do, if you're talking about things like we're talking about here today, you know, kids who come from hard places, trying to provide a good life for a kid who otherwise would have probably been in a very difficult situation. Like, how do you convey that to people so that they that they're interested in becoming part of this journey as well? Because that's one of our big goals is, is showing people that like, OK, foster care is hard. Not going to lie. It's hard. Um, I, I have kids tattooed on me that, that I don't own. Um, it's, that's a weird thing. I know, but, but there are pieces of these stories that are in our hearts and in our lives that, that we want to let people, this is, this is hard, but it's worth it. It's so very worth it. And that, that's, that's well, a challenge. I'm very unique. Um, and as an ex foster parent, <laughs> cut that cough. <laughs> um, it's funny because people are always telling me when they find out that my kids are adopted and that I fostered and all this stuff. Oh my God. And the number one comment I get is that it's, it's surprisingly, it's not the whole, like I could never do it. It's always the comment, but that's exactly, I want to do that. Da, da, da. And I know this is going to come off and it's going to sound crazy, but just keep hanging in there with me. Um, my first, com my first response is always don't, don't do it. Don't foster. And they're like, Oh, I did not expect this response. I'm aghast. Somebody alert the church elders. I'm a very honest and open person. And I think that a huge issue with foster care is so many of us go into it very naive. Many people go into it with a savior complex. Um, and, but primarily I'd say most potential foster parents go into it with very, very good intentions. And that's why I say there is a saying, a term known as one and done. It takes one case to break um, foster parents for they, that's when they say, I can never do this again. This case was awful. I was treated so poorly by social workers. You know, I couldn't believe how the system was handling these kids' lives or whatever trauma foster parents adore going through that process walking side by side, um, with this team and these children. And I don't think people really understand that side of it. They don't understand how emotionally taxing it's going to be and how mentally 
stressful and sometimes for some people traumatizing it will be. And so what I do is relay that to those people. If you think you can handle this and you're telling me after you hear these things, you still want to do it, then go for it. Then you do it because that means you have a calling because, and that is what's going to pull you through the most challenging cases, working with kids. For me, I was never really had too many problems with the kids um, or bio parents, thankfully, but I have heard some really gnarly stories that just broke my heart or they made me feel all types of ways. Um, and so that's usually where I come from, from my experience is telling people, Hey, my first response is don't, but let me tell you why. And if you hear this and you still feel called then you're meant to do it because the issue with you're looking at foster care, and foster parents and all these counties saying the same thing, which is we need foster parents. And I'm like, the issue is not recruitment. It's retainment. Foster parents need more support. Foster parents need um, more advocacy. And I feel like foster parents need um, a clearer picture of what a real journey within the system is going to look like for them, for their families, for their extended families. Cause community. Yeah. You know, that's, that's where the name of the podcast even came from. That whole unparalleled journey part is because this is a journey unlike any other that you'll ever walk. And just a, a quick look behind the scenes for everybody, Amanda and I have been talking about potentially trying to open up some, you know, some mastermind groups for, for potential or even current foster parents, because that, that placement that breaks you that you mentioned, like we, <laughs> we haven't been broken yet, but we've been bent in some serious ways. Seriously, bent. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure there was a few times that I did feel broken. I, I know there was. Yeah, and and so that that's one of the things we're looking at at, at implementing here in the next few months is figuring out how to uh, how to create a group where we can we can help coach some people through some of those harder times because we've been there. We've we've dealt with the hard stuff. We we had one placement that I mean the placement itself was wonderful. Um, the bio mom was, you know, the little boy came into care because mom was incarcerated at the time of his birth. And he had a family member that wanted to take him. And unfortunately, her house had been damaged in some pretty rough storms that came through the area. And so he couldn't he couldn't live there because you kind of have to have a roof on the house in order to uh, in order to put a kid in it. And um, so she was on a fixed income. It took a little bit of time to, to get it all put together. And he spent almost his first year of life in our home. And just a joy of a kid. I mean, there are some kids that are difficult, for sure. Um, he was not one of those. There was nothing about Carl that was difficult at all. Carl was just an amazing little dude, a lot of fun. The kids fell in love with him. And then when he left, when he, he and he went to his... his, his um, great aunt. Yeah, that's what it was. It was his great aunt's place. And his great aunt was a good woman. He was going to a safe place. It was all the good things that you want in life. But at yeah. the same time, we were letting go of this, this little bundle of light that had been in our life for a year and it about broke us you know yeah, a little carl shaped hole in your heart yeah yeah I, actually he's tattooed over my heart to yeah, be his, perfectly his honest. face is actually on his chest i actually have a tattoo here and it's a winnie the pooh quote so i'm on, only one kid i wouldn't say it broke me but it i i only had trouble with one goodbye and so the quote is how lucky i am to have something that makes saying goodbye so hard so that's always stuck with me. That quote right here on my chest. Can't miss it. It's there every day. Yep. But um, I think people focus on the goodbyes. That wasn't something I really, as I, I'm just a very unique female, wasn't ever something I really had an issue with. It was, um, I think I'm a very protective person and you want to protect these kiddos. And it's hard because I've also been a social worker for child protective services. I have two master's degrees. Um, so I've seen, seen it from a lot of angles and, you know, you do get some great social workers and you get some not so great social workers. And the reality is when they're, it's a job for them. And these, you know, these kids are just another number. That is not how it feels as a foster parent to this. It's very personal. These children are in your home. You are raising them alongside your other children. You are providing for them. You are responsible for them. And uh, yeah. So I think for me, the system was the hardest to, cope with um getting along with bio parents was pretty chill most of the time the kids were usually i mean you have the behavioral issues which would be really really stressful but i mean the kids 
my kids have all kinds of behavioral issues right now. Destroy my damn house, you know? <laughs> but it's it's like, those are the kinds of things you can say at the end of the day, like, well, this is expected. But walking, I think walking the journey through the system, through a case is just, I always tell people when it comes to my kids, I walked through fire for them. I entered the system all, you know, golly gosh, didn't we all? Remember when you were like that? All gung-ho. <laughs> I cannot wait to help the children. Um, and then I walked out the other side on, on the truth is on psychiatric medication. I walked through fire for my kids and it was, um, I would do it all over again. I regret zero moments of it. Um, but it was hard. It was hard. Yeah, I get that. And I did it alone as a single parent. Yeah. I I know that if it was me by myself, I don't know that it would have it would have turned out the same way. However, you know, I don't have near as many issues with other people as some folks do, mostly because I have this face over here that when I put my hate me face on, I tend to, you know, my voice. I, I was in the military just long enough to speak, learn so that I can speak so that I can be clearly heard and understood. At least that's what they told me. That's what that sound was. And you're um, very direct. I'm very direct. <laughs> and, and as I, am I. I do. People get, don't like that. <laughs> no, they don't. But when you have a face like mine, they, they realize that I don't care if they like it or not. And it's all good. And, and so I don't tend to have as many issues as a lot of people do when it comes to being heard, because I will stand up and, and be that guy who's loud, who will say what needs to be said in the room in the moment. I, I'm not a confrontational person by nature, but you mess with the kids. Well, I, I, I'm willing to get a little confrontational. I think it's also very different being a male in the system. Yes, I believe it. Female. And but, as a foster father, honestly, we don't have a whole lot of rep representation. It's in your time as a social worker, I, I'd be curious to know how much of that, you know, you saw where this the system tends to be set up around the idea of foster mom taking care of everything and foster dad's in the house. As long as he's not doing anything bad or causing any problems, he, he's not in, you know, he's not a big, a big um, player in the game typically. Yeah. Um, I actually was an emergency responder for child protective services. So I did not do back end work as casework. I was a, an investigator and I was the one who did the investigation after calls came in and, uh, you know, know this now that those investigators aren't the ones who make the final decisions. Please know that. Um, it's really your superiors. Once you obtain all the information, um, after interviewing everybody involved, um, it's your superiors to make the decision as to whether or not a child should be removed. But that was my job to investigate and then remove children if need be. Um, so it was, it was a very different side of the system. And it honestly, it honestly made me see, I think the system CPS specifically in such a different way and the way laws are written to quote unquote protect kids sometimes hurts children. Sometimes it does protect kids. It's really hard because you have to have the very broad generalization when it comes to laws and um, penal codes with the way they're written because you're working with the broad, but like, and you have to interpret it a certain way. There's no wiggle room. So, you know, sometimes I'm just like, are we doing the right thing? Mm. Should these kids should these kids be going? Isn't there some other support we can offer? Is there something else we can do before we tear this family apart? Um, so it was really hard. It was really hard. One of our one of our friends, uh, Lindsay, she used to she used to do that job as well. She was actually our she was our first caseworker, wasn't she? Yeah. Yeah, oh. she was the first caseworker that we had, and she went on to do the um, become an investigator for a good long while, and uh, she did that for a good good amount of years. And she moved to a different county, and now she's. She's in um in the foster parent foster parent retention and recruitment and all that and she's you know she told me one day she says it's so weird for people to like be friendly to me I didn't realize just how I had gotten used to people more or less every every one of the clients that I have hate me because I they do and I always said <laughs> I don't blame them I I would tell families I would be very real because I had been a foster parent I know that the system doesn't treat people well and so you show up at the door. And I would always tell them, listen, if I showed up at my door, I would be feeling and responding the exact same way. So I know that 
the entity I work for. And when I show up at your door, it brings a certain level of anxiety and fear. And that's not my intention. So I would just always try to be very communicative. This is what I'm going to do. I have to interview everyone. This is how the process works. If there's no disclosure or concerns of any kind, I will walk away and hopefully you never see us again. People weaponize CPS now, which is what really irritates me. Calls come in. I am going to be very frank with you in my experience. Um, I have quite a few friends who still work for the department here. Um, I have a friend who works for the department in LA County. Um, Yikes, right? (laughs) Good old LA County. Um, And I will say, we all say the same thing. (laughs) 96% of what we get is total BS. A lot of them are retaliation calls. Oh, I didn't like this neighbor. So I'm going to call CPS on them or, you know, and it's to me, the way CPS is weaponized when there are children out there who are hurting, who are in danger, and you are taking a very thin resource. There's not enough social workers. It's a, it's a very high turnover within the department. Um, and you are spreading these people so much thinner because you are a bitter Betty about whatever. Honestly, I just, you see such a different side of humankind in the system. I've been in a, in a sense, really lucky to see it from so many sides, but at the same time, I'm just like the veil is off and wow. Yeah, we've we've uh, we've had some retaliation calls made on us in the past and always comes back unfounded allegations. So the very first time, I think we were probably fairly concerned. Terrified. Yeah, I after was scared. Th- Absolutely. I mean, that's <laughs> our, our first run in with Children's Division. That was before we were even foster parents by yeah. a few years. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it and- doesn't even I mean, you can't. <sighs> Laws have changed to protect children, which are very good. There was so little to protect children back in the day. Um, But I feel like sometimes the pendulum has swung too far. Kids can't be kids anymore. They, you know, I mean, as a kid, my parents, I mean, my mom always said, like, I can count on one hand how many times I had to spank my kids because we were really good kids. Parents didn't hit us, you know, we rarely got yelled. Yeah, you know, we were just normal kids, like having fun. But I was always banged up. I thought I was an acrobat as a child and I was a neurotypical <laughs> child, super healthy, nothing like that. Very smart. I did very well in school, but I never had skin on my knees or elbows. I know I have bunks and bumps on my face and my you know typical places like your shins and stuff. And it, it I, I had a, a, I felt a very healthy, active childhood. Um, and now it's very much like um, a lot of the times when I work for CPS, we get calls from schools. Schools are the number one rep- And my God, children can't even have hangnails anymore. And, you know, then, you know, oh my God, little, little Johnny or little Susie has this bumper bruise and they've called it in and, and blah, blah, blah. And then you go and it's just like, I let them ride their bike and they fell. And, you know, I've got to go traumatize a family, you know, and the, the problem is for teachers is they have to report it. So it's just this cycle of, um, I think fear. And I hate that. Like kids can't be kids. Families can't be families. Um, and social media talking about that has brought so much more awareness to certain things like shim abuse, um, and things like that. I don't want to say the word. Um, so it's like, it's always these very extremes. It's always these very extremes, even with my own kids. Um, you know, they get any little bump or scrape and I'm honestly terrified. I can't live the way my parents live, just kids are kids. They, you know, they're active and stuff like that. And my kids can't live. I feel like I always have my kids encased in like, you know, the boy in the bubble. Remember John Travolta, the boy in the bubble. That's how I feel like my kids have to live. And I know I can't be the only parent feeling that way. Oh, Amanda can tell you about, um, our son, Austin. (laughs) How old was he about? Oh, goodness. Four, five. Yeah, I think four. I think four. And that particular summer, when she went to the ER for the umpteenth time, and walks up to the registration desk and opens up her wallet, and the gal at the counter says, "It's okay, Miss Palmer. We have your file right here." And she literally, we were just there three days prior, and that the week before, we had three kids there at the ER, and yeah, I mean this this was a summer, several concussions and. 
Yeah. Were you just like so terrified? Oh, absolutely. And then, you know, the nurses, they're just doing their job. But every new nurse that walks by, oh, what happened, honey? You know, what'd you do? And, you know, they're waiting for this four-year-old to be inconsistent in his statements. Well, he's four. (laughs) He's four. And it's good that they're concerned. It's good that we're looking out for kids, but it's just like, don't push it. (laughs) You know, I'm like, kids are kids. Like, mine are out of control. They don't listen to me for anything. Like, what... I'm always really thankful for is I'm in a position where I have four babysitters who are in my home, probably approximately five days a week. I have a dog walker who's here seven days a week and a housekeeper who's here one day a week. So there are, and we're public, we're on social media. So obviously all these things, you know, I have a lot of people with eyes on us to help protect, but it's, it's so very stressful and it's so very scary. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, number one, I'm jealous you have that many people helping you. Um, <laughs> because right, I have a partner, you know, like I, I don't, I, don't I, be jealous because I'm paying, I'm paying out the butt for it. <laughs> I, I believe that. <laughs> and to work really hard to make the money for the help I need to make the money. <laughs> I, I totally get that vicious circle, but you know, we, we've, we've dealt with this with so many kids, you know, thank God we, that our, our youngest now Frankie was, not that accident prone. I mean, he, he is to a certain level, but he does, he tends to do silly stuff where a little bit of a, a bandaid or some liquid bandaid will take care of his issue. And we're not going to the ER because this kid, he's got stories. He's got stories. He's made up some incredible stories. His one story, he, when he came into foster care, it was because his, his mom and his dad were being attacked by snakes. And so they, they climbed up in a tree and put him up in a tree so they couldn't get him. And then they got down, they fought all the snakes and they ended up getting killed by the snakes and the foster care people came by and found him and picked him up. And that's why they brought him to my house. Oh, okay. <laughs> we, I'm actually pretty lucky because Evan, um, with his form of autism, Evan is a total snitch and Evan will tell you factually, like this happened. Um, you know, like Ella fell out of the bed, Ella fell out of the bed. We were fighting and I said, no, Ella. And I pushed her and, you know, like, and he'll uh-huh. say it, but Ella said, no, Evan. And Ella hit me. She hit me like this mom. And like, he'll show me. And I'm like, hey, I told you guys to leave each other alone. Why? So, um, I do have Evan who's always in everybody's business and always the first person to be like this and that happens and da, 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 and I'm going to tell it how it is. And I'm, I'm going to snitch you out. <laughs> so he's kind of a saving. She, Oh, excuse me. Wrong pronouns. She's kind of a saving grace in that way. I'm really thankful, <laughs> but kids are wild. Yes. Yes, they are. And I, I do have a couple snitches in my house as well. And that's, that's the best been, though. Yes. But your parents are the best. Like that's, that's your informer. They're the informant. The only downside to that is, um, Amanda had to run off to go take a call here, but I, I remember when we had gone out, we had not been out for a good long while. And as parents, you know, and foster parents, you don't have a whole lot of opportunity to get out. And one particular, I think it was a, an anniversary. Um, we had gotten out for an evening and, and the kids went to my mom's house to stay there for the evening. And when we went to pick them up the next day, we get in the car and we're leaving and, and we'd, we'd had a great evening, a good morning. I'm in a good mood. And I jokingly look in the rear view mirror and say, all right, guys, who was misbehaving? And all of a sudden, all three of them broke down in tears and start pointing fingers at each other. I'm like, oh man, <laughs> I was just joking. And now I got to deal with this because they're all telling all the stories that, that my mom wouldn't tell because, well, that's grandma. She doesn't want Man, grandma's nice. Yeah, she's nicer than she was as a mom because as a mom, she knew how to swing a switch. I'm gonna tell you that. Oh God, I never had that. I was so, I was so thankful. I, you know, I think maybe I got spanked like twice in my life, you know, with just a hand. Um, but I was, I, I was really lucky in that sense. But I think we were a little bit hard headed, and when she switched from a hand, or yeah, from the hand to the switch. I think there was four of us, and that switch got used four times. And then we were like, oh, never mind. I'm either going to behave or I'm going to be sneakier. One of the two. My mom, I think it depends, too. So my mom was actually, like, if CPS had been doing its job back in the 50s and 60s, she would have been removed from the home. Um, so they were actually abused. 
I mean, she got hit with fists and, um, while my, you know, my mom has her issues and things like that. And we actually don't have a relationship. There were certain cycles. She didn't stop like the cycle of anger and stuff. I always say, but she stopped the cycle of abuse. She always said, I will never hit my children with an object or anything like that. She didn't have to, we were really good kids, but we knew she meant business, you know, but we had a very loving mother growing up. And so I, you know, I always, I never thought about it growing up. And you think about it when you're, you're older and you talk to other adults, like what was your experience? You know, my best friend got hit with the spoon, not abused or anything like that. Never any bruises, but, um, you know, she, to this day as an adult, 40 years old, her parents opened that drawer. She's like, Oh, but you know, I think that, um, I was really, really lucky to grow up with parents who didn't utilize lot of physical discipline or anything like that. Um, it just, but some kids are, they are definitely harder. Um, and my brother and I were definitely outside the norm. We were really good kids, <laughs> really good kids. I always tell my kids, I'm like, why can't you be like me when I was a kid? Like, but you yeah. know, we were just always playing and pretending. And again, the eighties were just a different time. Yes, it was. I keep saying the same thing about how good we were. My mom will not agree with that fact. Oh, my mom will. She used to tell people all the time, my kids were perfect until they turned into teenagers. And my brother started giving her a hard time at maybe like, gosh, I don't remember how old he was. Maybe 16. Um, I was 17, 17. Maybe he was like 14 or 15. I was 17. Um, probably gave her a bit of a hard time for you. Never got in trouble with the law. It was never, it's not my personality type. Never got in trouble at school. Um, but, you know, little things like, you know, be home by one and I'd come home but three, you know, things like that. Um, and then I was just a weird, I've always been, like I said, beating my own drummer. Um, once I hit 18, something clicked and I was just like, you know, you have to grow up. This is it. And that was it. (laughs) Yeah. I wish, why can't my kids be like me? (laughs) Right. Right. You know, when I got to about that age, I joined the military and, and if you didn't have grown up, figured out yet back in the, uh, back in the, early nineties, late well, the military will help you figure it out. <laughs> the drill sergeants back then would, they, they were a slightly different breed back then. And, um, yeah. and yeah, so, I mean, as a matter of fact, uh, my brother went through the same basic training uh, that I went through or the same, the same base, um, here in Missouri. And I went down to, to his basic training unit. and I couldn't find my old unit. And I was like, what in the heck is going on? Found out later, apparently, uh, CID, the criminal investigation division sent a bunch of people through the, uh, through the unit that I went through and they had disciplinary actions for so many of the NCOs that ran that group that our unit was disbanded. Yeah. And I was like, huh, I knew it was, it was, it was disciplined, well-disciplined. I managed myself out of all that trouble. It was just a matter of being smart enough to listen and and follow some orders. And you're going to do a lot of push-ups and you're going to do a lot of, you know, silly exercise stuff. But, you know, you might even get to be one of those cool guys who gets to hang on a tree upside down like a koala bear and tell everybody how much you love the tree for a while because you were doing something stupid and and threw something at the tree and a drill sergeant saw it. You, You might get some of those interesting disciplinary things, but... But, you know, I did not have any, any big issues with any of what we saw, but it was, it was, it was a place that would help you learn how to grow up really, really freaking fast. And I was not out in the military very long before I met Amanda. And then, you know, next thing you know, we're raising kids and, and I, I didn't have time to be much of a, of a stupid teenager. And, you know, those early twenties, I did all my stupid stuff in the couple of years that I was in the military. And then I had to go be in a grown up. It was, it was just That's a of my life. Thing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I was just a personality. I was just always, I think I've just always been a pretty responsible individual. And I think, you know, you take those personality profile tests, my personality profile tests always match. Well, I'm like, yeah, well, I, I know this, like, you know, like <laughs> people always like, you should take these. They're so fun. I'm like, why would I take a test? I already know who I am. Like, <laughs> just going to read exactly what I already know. But, you know, especially with the master's degrees I have in uh, marriage, family therapy, and professional counseling, we had to do a lot of that. And so, okay, we want everybody to try it yourselves. Take your personalities. I'm like, I can already tell you my personality. I literally live my life every, okay, I'll take it. Like, you know, like, <laughs> I live my life every day. But yeah, they all say the same things. I've always been that kind of person. So um, really lucky in that way. Just, just who I am. And for kids who have, you know, a plethora of different, uh, different diagnoses and things to work through, 
I mean, what kind of amazing advantage is that, that they have somebody who's had the education and experience to know how to, how to help people through that? Because most people, if it has a kid with, you know, ADD, ADHD, ODD, RAD, like you go on with the, the alphabet soup, but you end up with parents who are behind the eight ball. They didn't know they had that until like they got frustrated enough to find a professional. And at that point, they've already been doing it wrong for a couple of years before they know that they've even been approaching it wrong. Yeah, I, I don't. I'm sure my education does help on some level, but I mean, again, it's, there's a whole difference for me uh, being a professional in that sense. And then being a parent, I parent, I'm not going to lie, Jason, I'm flying by the seat of my pants. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Like, I think that we're all in the same boat. I think you can read all the books you want. You can get, you can have all the education in the world, but really nothing prepares you, especially for raising kiddos. Um, who have gone through the system, kiddos with, again, very unique needs, uh, behavioral issues, all that stuff. So I, um, it's one day at a time, (laughs) one minute at a time sometimes. Yeah. One day at a time for real, because a lot of this stuff is so very difficult and we don't know what we're doing. Oftentimes we, we think we do. We hope we do. We hope we at least do a half decent job, but, but it's a lot of this is just an experiential PhD in life that we're all working yeah. towards. I agree. I agree. Um, I always tell, cause you know, I think social media, people see something like, Oh my God, you're the best mom. You're the perfect mom. And I was like, no, I'm a subpar mom at best. Like, you know, I am, I, I always tell people realize this now there's no such thing as a perfect parent and we're all struggling, um, the same way. You know, um, I'm always honest with people. What you see on social media isn't real. Not that I'm saying I'm a bad parent or anything like that. I'm just saying, you know, it it, it can be very difficult knowing how much, how hard it is for me. Um, I cry every day. I'm not going to lie. So if you are out there and you're a foster parent or you're a parent parenting disabled children, children with unique needs, you're a single parent or all of the above, know that you're not alone if that's where you're at, Um, because it is the struggle every day. Every day brings challenges I, none of my friends as parents have ever experienced. Nobody, I mean, nobody, you just, you do your best and that's all I'm doing. And um, so, I mean, I think the the biggest, the one comment I get a lot is like, oh my God, you're like a superhero and people always mean well, but it hurts to hear because I know very much so that I'm not. And I know how much I'm struggling on this end. I know how alone I feel. I know, um, I I know that there's things I look back and go, well, damn, I could have maybe done that better. Or, well, I should have said this. I should have done that. In the moment, it's so hard. You're just trying to put out fire. That's what it feels like. I'm putting out fires constantly all day long. Um, and it's exhausting. So yeah, it is. So I hope that if anything from this podcast would, what other parents take from this is, you know, perfection is not attainable. You're, you're going to make mistakes. You know, things are going to happen. Um, you're going to be judged. You're going to be criticized. You're going to face things that hurt so much. And primarily from people who have no idea, uh, what the fuck they're talking about. So you can go ahead and edit that one out. Um, <laughs> always people, it's always people who don't even have kids that are opening their mouths, let alone people who they have no idea what this journey is like. And no, no two foster parents are going to have the same journey. No two foster parents will have the same journey. So, um, it's rough, it's rough. And it doesn't end when that judge hits that gavel, you know, and, and they're legally yours. You, you have to, it's every day's work. Every day is I work really, really hard and I'm tired. I'm tired. And, uh, all I can do like the rest of us is hope that I'm doing a good enough job that they're mostly stable enough (laughs) to grow (laughs) up and go off and live their lives and have some really cool experiences and be happy. Well, I have to ask, you know, because I'm not a single mom and I still feel the way that you you feel, and I have a wonderful partner here to support me. Yes, and he does. he's a great dad, you know. But where do you find strength and support? Um, the strength 
Are you talking about like emotional and mental strength? Uh, all of the above. <laughs> I don't feel strong. I think people see it that way from the outside. I feel broken. That's the God honest truth. I feel broken every single day. Um, I raising kids is hard. My kids, again, going back to the unique needs, it's kind of like pregnancy. I've never been pregnant before because all my kids are adopted, but the way women talk about what pregnancy does, so they use the word even destroy, destroyed my body, destroyed my lady bits, you know, all my down belows or whatever. Um, I feel like I, every day is pregnancy for me, if that makes sense. It's hard. So um, as far as finding the strength, I, I, I don't, there's times I go to bed at night and I think to myself, I don't know how my body's going to get up and do this again tomorrow. I'm so tired. My kids have erratic sleeping patterns lately at 2 AM every single night. I've been sick for a month. Um, it's part of the reason I can't get physically better is because I have so much on my plate that I'm caring for. And that's the truth. I think people think like, oh my God, she's got this perfect life or whatever. And I'm like, no, this is the truth. Like I can't even physically get well. Um, and, um, I don't know. I just get up every day and I just do it again. And I, I tell people every day I fail. I fail as a parent. Sometimes I fail as a friend because I'm so overwhelmed and so stressed out or just crying all the time. And, uh, I forgot my best friend's birthday two years in a row. We've been best friends for almost 25 years. I called her on her birthday to be like, oh my God, the kids are not listening again. And this happened. And she listens to me. She never says anything. I don't even know what day it is. Like, it's not like I forget her birthday. I know exactly when her birthday is. Um, I just don't even know what day of the week it is or what day of the month it is. That's literally where I'm at. And something will be said, or even one day, I think this year I got off the phone with her after calling her and just venting. And within an hour, I realized it's her birthday, but she loves me so much. She never said anything. Um, I have very little by way of support. My closest friends do not live here um, in Southern California. My best friend lives in Arizona. Um, and so like, I, I always tell people like, I never want to glamorize single parenting foster parenting or adoption, the entire, everything I've done is hard. I've always, it's just for some reason, my journey in life, I've always chosen the hard road. I always have. I don't know why um, I'm always called to things. So um, I am really thankful for the sitters who come in and sometimes leave crying. <laughs> like, I'm thankful for my babysitters. I'm thankful for, um, you know, the people who listen to me, the close friends I do have that are there to be a shoulder to cry on or a listening ear. And, um, when I really need it, I jump into therapy because taking care, even on a minimal level of yourself in any way you can is important. Um, so when it gets to that point, I connect, reconnect with a therapist and go from there. Oh yeah. We'll always, we'll always preach about the value of therapy. You know, Oh yes. We, we've got our guy that, you know, even when we're not going through hard times once a month, at least it's we, a constant, we have an appointment with Dr. Tom once a month because he's a smart dude and, and he helps us kind of in the good times, you know, to realize it's a good times and in the hard times to, uh, to keep us between the rails. Yeah. I think people forget a lot about that. Now that's the hard part about fostering is I felt as a foster parent, um, so undervalued and I don't, I don't know what the right word is, um, mistreated, um, by pretty much everybody in the system, you know, and it's a very lonely place to be. And not many people understand what it's like to, to do what you do in the system, um, and then to be treated the way we are often treated, um, it takes a tough, a tough person to go through that and, and continue. So like I did it for, I think my license was open for like five years and y'all are still doing it. So my hat's off to you 
um, you know. Well, honestly, I'm just too dumb to know when I should quit. <laughs> well, I would like to say from a foster parent's perspective, because, you know, foster parent, adoptive mom, biological mom, all those different hats, being a foster parent can be extremely lonely. Mm-hmm. And it's so hard to reach out for help and we need help. But a lot of foster parents feel like if they even admit that there's a chink in their mental stability that, you know, they can't be a foster parent anymore. They're going to take these kids away from me. Oh my God, I can't do it. We can't be human. You're you're right. Your right to be human is taken away from you. And it's true. And they're not crazy for feeling that way. Oh no! So I have foster parents like I can't tell this. I can't tell the social worker. I'm like, you're right. You can't. You're gonna have to lean on certain people um, and get therapy or get whatever it is you need. I don't know. We all know in the system they blackball you. You got to be really careful with what you say. Um, but I, again, foster parenting and and a lot of the things in my life have always prepared me for certain things. But yeah, your right to be human is stripped of you. It's the same thing being on social media. You know, you see all these people, we're canceling so-and-so, we're doing, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, the minute you are on social media or even not even social media, if you're looking at people who are like celebrities from TV or movies or whatever, and the minute they make a mistake, the minute they do something and the reality people are just horrible because again, you've lost all right to be a human. Now you're at this level, we expect perfection. And so that's really hard. I've been in a lot of things, the foster care system, you know, now on social media, and they're very similar in that expectation of you. And it's so hard. Yeah, it's difficult for people to accept the fact that, yes, uh, I am perfectly broken. That's about as close to perfection as you're going to find in my world. You know, and I've, I've had a couple opportunities to, to, to be on TV. Um, you know, and, and we put ourselves out here on, on the podcast. We tell stories and, uh, I'm sorry, but I've got a lot of broken pieces and I don't always make great statements. And I say things I don't mean from time to time. And that's going to happen. And if you can't accept that, it's probably best if you just decide I'm not a good person. It's not somebody you want to listen to because I'm going to have those places. I'm going to make those mistakes. I'm going to have that moment where we've just got done with an interaction with a kid where I'm ready, you know, where, where I'm fully aware of the, the skill set I need to properly execute the Homer choke, because there are many moments <laughs> where I have that, why you little kind of moment in my soul. It's just true. It doesn't sound pretty. It doesn't sound nice, but it's no, <laughs> we, if there's a parent, there's all these perfect parents out there, especially on social media, the perfect parents and gentle parenting is a um, big thing now. And for anybody who can do that, like my hat's off, like, you know, I, I have to step away. I have to take a time out sometimes because I'm human. And because kids definitely push you, it's what they do. I think at some point we all did it to our parents too, even though I was a really good kid. I'm, I know I had to have just irritated the hell out of my parents at times. Um, but yeah, you do. It's, it's really hard and it does affect your mental health very much. I think foster parenting, I think a huge issue within the system is that uh, free mental health care is not provided by the state or the county while you are providing care for these children and, these, and working with these families. Yeah, that, that's, that'd be an awesome thing if they offered that, but I don't think they're going to start anytime soon. I don't know about the way that the state of California runs it, but the state of Missouri does not seem to care a whole lot about um when it comes California to California uh, won't do it. Either. California, I will say, I have fostered in California and Texas, so two states, um, and adopted in two separate states. And California does a really good job of taking care of their kids, especially financially. But it's the same thing when you look at the plight of foster parents. It's the same across the board, no matter what state you're in. Just is. Yeah, the state of Missouri, I think we are the second lowest um, when it comes to the the amount of financial support they provide for kids, the second lowest in the nation. So yeah, yeah, it's it's down there. It's 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 not a lot of you know a lot of money. And so when when I hear about people fostering just for money, I always like, wow, I'm always like, what money are you getting? Right? How is there some sort work? of pot you're pulling from that I'm not aware of? Yeah. Is there a leprechaun involved? <laughs> it would be easier to just rob the liquor store. Yeah, people honest. are always just like, they do it for the money. I'm like, 
What do money? you know how much it costs to raise a child? <laughs> like most foster parents are paying out of their own pocket at some point for these children. So, it, but people have, there's a stigma that surrounds foster parenting and all that kind of stuff. And it will probably never go away. It's always going to be there, but I always put people in check. I'm like, um, no, I was never rich as a foster parent. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Like the, you guys got jokes out here, you know, <laughs> account with people, but um, the problem with you know, the good and bad of, you know, so much media attention on certain things is that, it does create stigmas along with certain things and it's going to make it even harder for um, counties to recruit foster parents. They so badly need. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Ika, I appreciate so much you coming in and telling your story of of your own journey as a foster parent, as, as a worker in the side of the system and the stories of your children that, that you're taking care of now, because these are the things that people need to hear. And I can only hope that this goes far and wide and maybe can inspire a person or two to, to reach down their soul and see if this is a calling for them and join us on, on their own unparalleled fostering journey, because God knows we need more parents who, who are wired for it, who are called to it, to come in and help kids in a way that doesn't necessarily serve us, but it serves the children. So thank you so much for your time and your words of wisdom here. Thank you for having me. Okay, Foster Care Nation. Thank you for listening to Ika's story. Now take her wisdom and knowledge to heart so you can create love and healing in your family and community. Be sure to come back next week. We have new episodes every Tuesday. If you'd like to share your story as a guest, you can reach us at Jason at fostercarenation.com. You can connect with other like-minded people on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash fostercareuj. And don't forget, we have an account over at Buy Me A Coffee. It's like a virtual tip jar where you can help us fund our mission for as little or as much as you want. It's at buymeacoffee.com slash fostercare. The links to everything are in the show notes in your podcast player or at fostercarenation.com. And as always... You are so super awesome. I thank you guys. Thank you for listening. Thanks, thanks, thanks. Unparalleled Studios. Studios.